0: And welcome to this squiggly animation podcast special from the Dublin Animation Film Festival 2016. I'm Steve Henderson, freshly returned with news and interviews from the festival to share with you all. For those who don't know about the festival, it was originally established as the Blackrock Animation Festival back in 2011. And since then, the festival has been relocated to Dunleary. And rebranded as the Dublin Animation Film Festival. While the festival is usually a couple of days, this year it was condensed into a single day, which managed to capture all the charm of a larger animation festival, but packed into a full day of screenings, a special guest interview, portfolio workshops, and the award ceremony, all taking place at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary. So, on this podcast special, we'll be hearing from the festival's special guest, Duke Johnson. And we already spoke to Duke back in March, but it's been a fantastic opportunity to find out a little bit more about Duke himself, what he's up to and the reception of the fantastic film Anomalisa, which we're all huge fans of here on Squiggly. But before then, we had a sit down with Barry O'Donoghue, a producer from Barley Films. Uh, Barry's career has seen him work with Brad Bird on The Iron Giant and some more uh, Warner feature 2D animation. But more recently, he returned to his homeland to set up Barley Films. Barry and his producing expertise helped director Tom Caulfield with his film Unhinged, which gained a special mention for Best Soundtrack at this year's festival. The film itself is an unabashed homage to classic American cinema animation with some absolutely superb character animation which drives the story of a doorman having to contend with a squeaky door. But he's unaware that the squeaks are actually cute little critters that inhabit the door's hinge and the doorman's exasperations as he attempts to rid the hinge of these adorable little creatures make for some wonderful comedy animation moments it really must be seen. But we had a great opportunity to chat to Barry for more details about Unhinged, Barley Films, the future feature that's coming up from Barley Films, and the Irish animation industry in general. So here's Barry O'Donoghue speaking to me at the Dublin Animation Film Festival. Barry O'Donoghue from Barley Films, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today.
1: Thanks for having
0: us in. You're here uh, representing Unhinged. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the film? Sure.
1: It's uh, Tom Caulfield is the director and the, the main animator on the film, um, and it was funded with the, the Irish under one of the Irish Film Board schemes with uh, RTÉ, our national broadcaster, and the Arts Council. And it's uh, a little over three minutes, uh, comedy film, very much full, full drawn, full kind of classical style animation. Um, Tom had been working on a lot of feature films as a, as an animator, lead animator, probably since two thousand and four worked for Disney in Australia and worked for a lot of studios in France, uh, a lot of the Irish studios, uh, had worked at Barley Films as well on our feature uh, when we were developing it. So he really wanted to do his own thing, you know, tell his own story um, and a story that he wanted to uh, be able to be as full in the animation as he was allowed, not be restricted by somebody else's budget saying it had to be a low um, or a fast turnaround or low quality or something and kind of have to compromise. So he really he really didn't have to compromise on this, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's quite fun, joyous animation, very cartoony. Um, and, and I think you can see you can see watching it, when you watch it, that he, he's whoever's animated it has had fun animating it. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a, a sense of joy in it. Um, and he picked a really nice team. Uh, while he did most of the animation, there was probably five or six other animators who did a few scenes with him, all of whom were very seasoned animators uh, as well, had worked on a lot of feature films, so... Um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting uh, an interesting project. So he'd asked me to produce it uh, through his brand new company that he'd set up just as he got the funding to mm. do it. So, um, yeah, fun, a fun adventure. No dialogue, so it's just all about pantomime performance. Yeah, uh, With sound effects, I guess, helping helping that along.
0: Well, very much so. I mean, the whole thing uh, is centred around this particular sound. The film being about a doorman having to contend with a squeaky door yes. and interacting, or rather... Trying to get rid of the squeaks that live in the
1: door and we follow it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, they're are these cute little, super cute little characters um, who are um, for him extraordinarily annoying. But uh, I think for the audience uh, they're quite fun to, to follow their part of the part of the story.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um and a very unashamedly and, and, and brilliantly so Disney esque Warner Brothers I don't know Tex Avery I keep throwing all these classics of, yeah. of American animation descriptions at you but it's very very uh, close to that it's, That's it's a love letter isn't it yeah, to, to um, that era
1: I was in college with Tom and Tom from when he was in college could draw like crazy do you know what I mean and he loved that stuff he loved those old cartoons as we all did in college at the time but you know, he was the one who was able to actually do that when we were in college so I think you know, he, when he finally has got the chance now to make his own his own one he really went you know totally 100% in that direction and mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's uh, I, I guess for a lot of people who are sort of journeyman animators they're working on somebody else's show all the time and you are confined to somebody else's style and um, even if you love Warner Brothers and you're working on something else you have to pull it back so I think this was just that great opportunity which we don't always get to, uh, to do what you love to do as as well as you can do it mm-hmm. um, and he's such a. Such a skilled draftsman and such a skilled storyteller that it just it adds that extra layer so that he could really go towards that um, that standard that those guys set you know that we all adored, and which is probably why we all got into animation in the first place was because we loved those cartoons so much.
0: It's nice to be able to have that opportunity to go back to what it was that, that fired off your initial yeah uh, love affair
1: of animation. Absolutely, which is great. absolutely. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a special. So it's a, for for us. It's quite a special film, you know. Both having been in college at the same time, getting to work together again, and it was fun. And, uh, we'd worked together on a number of projects at uh, at Barney Films as well. But uh, and Tom had tried to develop a few other shorts as well at the at the studio, which we hadn't been able to get funding for. But um, once he got this, I think he he understood how precious it was. Mm-hmm. You know, having not been able to get things uh, started before that, um, and he really just poured. He poured his love into it you know and uh, it's it's there and hopefully people certainly audiences seem to be responding to it really well so that's that's always satisfying
0: Excellent the shows uh, yeah unhinged uh, being uh, your involvement on behalf of Bali films but it's not a Bali films Correct. correct. No, I was just literally hired as the producer honestly, to, to manage the production um, so maybe you like to tell us a little bit about about Bali films then
1: sure yeah uh, we set up Barley in 2002. Um, I'd been working at Warner Brothers in the States on uh, The Iron Giant and *Moses Jones and uh, Adam Sanders at Crazy Nights and then they kind of shut down their 2D division and were going fully CG on their projects uh, and I still wanted to draw as an animator so I came back and set up a studio in Dublin to do that. Um, and then we made a, a short sort of straddling the US and, and Ireland uh, called Boys Night Out which is directed by Bert Klein and Teddy Newton. Teddy was at Pixar at the time and Bert was at Disney. Um, and it was their idea, and we, we just kind of came on towards the end of them, completing the project, um, which was fun like, experience to kind of just get our teeth into producing something, um, something fresh, um, and that did pretty well at, at festivals. And then the next thing we actually made was Agricultural Report, which was a, a CG film, funnily enough, um, that Sydney Padua uh, directed. Um, she was wonderful, she is still a wonderful animator. Uh, I've known her from more She worked on The Iron Giant and a bunch of projects there. Um, and she's gone on to work in visual effects now and uh, has last year just completed a fantastic graphic novel called Lovelace The Adventures of Lovelace and Babbage. I don't know if you've come across it. It's about Ada Lovelace, is it? It's about Ada yeah. Lovelace, yeah. And computers really, really funny, uh, very smart, amazing drawings. Um, I think she just got nominated for an Eisner over the summer oh. in the States. So, yeah, really high quality. High quality book. so um, so yeah. So we we're really lucky to work with her on on that short, and then we made uh, about six or seven others over the last ten years, uh, mostly with film board Irish film board funding, though not all of them. Um, and they've been a range of projects where they tended to be very much director director driven stories. So uh, I was the producer on most of them, or well, the exec producer, rather than the director. Um, yeah, and we, we've, we've sort of developed this lovely little group of people who really wanted to make you know, kind of their own film, um, and we were lucky to find a way to get them funded, mostly as I said, through sort of state agencies in Ireland, um, and they varied from comedies to uh, serious dramas, one of them was about uh, illegal immigrants in France, for example, um, African immigrants without uh, the right papers, that type of thing. Um, some of them have dialogue, some of them what don't What's that one called? Uh, it's called pirogue, which okay. is the name for a, sort of a dugout canoe, a wooden dugout canoe, um, and that was all done by a director called Alice Bow um, all hand drawn in charcoal all done by her six and a half minutes all drawn on paper um, amazing amazing film really powerful um, and then we recorded the voices in France and then the music was traditional uh, the characters are from Burkina Faso in, in, in Africa so the the music, music and musicians were from Burkina Faso, and we had another Irish uh, chap who had also performed a, a, an African instrument here, which we recorded actually in Dunleary, so uh, where we are today. Um, so, yes, that was quite a different, you know, so we've kind of bounced between stuff that's quite frivolous and silly to stuff that's quite serious. Um, and our current stuff, uh, we're just working on the first feature at the moment, uh, which is a sort of set in the Arctic, heavy conservation theme about overfishing and. Uh, I suppose overheating of the world whatever uh, global, global warming um, it's, that's the backdrop to it I mean it's a kids film there's fun stuff happening it's uh, lots of fantasy kind of characters and everything and, and hopefully, hopefully an enjoyable film but the, the themes behind it are a bit more um, con- are sort of our concern for the environment I guess um, and we have another two in development features after this that are also one of them is very much not about the environment it's just a Christmas kind of a fun Christmas story but the other one, again, is another uh, very heavily environmental theme about the oceans, the state of the oceans. So um, I think it's just maybe that's my sensibility coming through there, whereas on the other stories, we just let whatever the director wanted to focus on. We just encouraged them to do that. So. Cool. You're using the full
0: uh, scope of what you can do with animation, then? Yeah, we've
1: tried different things. We've tried computer animation, CGI, we've tried cut out cardboard stuff, we've done paint on glass and some of those, uh, which has been kind of crazy. Um and then we've done hand-drawn, and we've done hand-drawn in on Cintiqs, and hand-drawn in on Wacom, sort of all sorts of different types. Um, stop-motion stuff we've just started doing in another project as well, so which has been really great fun. It's uh, and puppetry mixed in with that, so... Um, we get used to only doing a few seconds a week, and then suddenly you're given a camera and you're you're allowed to move it quickly in a live action environment with a puppet. And you're like, <laughs> we just got ten minutes done today. This is amazing. How did we? Why are we spending, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks just getting a few seconds in a week? So that's been kind of liberating, I think, for us as a team. Um, and then we're then happy to jump back to the controlled environment sometimes of the drawings, you know, the slower drawings. But uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting. We're lucky that we've an interesting range of things we can get to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fun. The team, we've had changes all the time, but they've always been really, really great to work with. So,
0: With, with your own past, you mentioned working on uh, with Warner Brothers. Is that over in the
1: States? Yeah, that was in LA. Um, yeah. I started there in 98. Um, first job was on the Iron Giant as a production person. Um, luckily, it was just fluky timing and everything, you know, all, those, all those things aligned. Um, and I happened to get on just as they'd started animation um, and worked with them for for that and then came back to Ireland after that was over and went back the following summer and started on Osmosis uh, mm-hmm. Jones again in production and then switched to, to being an animator about halfway through um, and then stayed on for their next project which was sort of an outs- partially outsourced to Sony or Sony I think maybe had the project which was Adam Sandler's 8 Crazy Lights mm-hmm. um, and Warners were sort of doing the back end from in Paint onwards so I, I worked in production management again on that. Um, but it was, a, it was a wonderful, I mean Warners was a wonderful place to be working. Um, really international crew everybody loved being there it was a little looser I think in in terms of kind of creative freedom than maybe somewhere like Disney or DreamWorks which had a really particular house style and you know a real brand that they were trying to protect and, and mourners just seemed to have this um, really free creative space I mean everyone was working hard but it was a lovely it was, just, it was a lovely place to get into animation I think you know so I think that was really lucky if I'd been somewhere else I might have I might have stuck with it quite the same way. Um, so we've, I guess we've always tried to replicate that feeling at Barley Films of you know you're there because you want to be there. You want to be making films. You might as well be working on a film you want to make. Um, so it's it's a slightly different niche, I suppose, that we have within within the Irish system as well. Maybe is there
0: is there like a a special relationship between America and Ireland when it, which affects the um, Irish uh, film industry? Is that supported by the Irish Film Board, and because you, oh, uh, you guys get uh, you do it incredibly well with with terms of um, you know Oscar feature films,
1: Oscar nominations. Yeah, I, that's an interesting. I haven't thought of it quite that way. Um, I think there's, I think we've been lucky that in the last ten years or so, thereabouts, for all those Oscar nominated projects that you're talking about from uh, Cartoon Saloon and Brent Bag and, and various cool. other studios. Um, I think. as a a, not as a country but as an industry we grew up a little bit and we realised that it wasn't just about getting enough money to make the next thing to sell to the local broadcaster we looked wider I think and we had to look wider to get funding so people looked wider with film festivals overseas to show their films and I think the natural growth became you know as impossible as it probably sounded to the first person who submitted to to the academy for consideration oh you know we'll try it and see what happens you know I think they just uh, when that wall broke down of oh actually no our stuff is not Ours, but Ireland's stuff is is uh, is good enough to, to stand on the the world stage with other films. Uh, that, that was a big mental um, leap, I think, for other filmmakers to suddenly go, "Oh well, well if these guys can do it, you know, maybe we should we should be thinking about getting our work shown everywhere, not just and not just for awards, but just to, to look outside of Ireland as a, for audiences as well as funders." So I think certainly on the feature scale, uh, the likes of Cartoon Saloon, their work has totally been embraced. I think. Um, Certainly, for with two Oscar nominations, it's phenomenal. I mean, hardly, hardly anybody other than the big studios or Ghibli or somebody has two two feature, you know, two feature Oscar nominations. So that's that's huge. Consecutive as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've they've set the bar for all of us as well. You know, which is great. Um, you know, luckily, uh, the guys, were, all of that gang from Sydney, were just ahead of us in college. So um, it's nice to have been part of knowing how they. They struggled as well, like everybody else. Nobody overnight suddenly gets the Oscar nomination. They've been at it since ninety nine or two thousand or something. So, um, but again, it's the same thing. They have that mindset of they want to tell a story that they really believe in. They find a way in the European system to sort of scrabble the money together, you know, to make it a sort of multi territory co production. And they just they knock it out of the park, you know. Um, it's interesting because all of the European movies cost what, five to eight million euros, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're going up against 70 80 90 150 million dollar American movies which clobber everything normally so to even get into a room you yeah. at a table with you know four other films that cost over a 100 million and yours is you know five percent of that budget is, is staggering yeah um, so it's yeah the, I, I think maybe there's an element of the underdog you know that in terms of voters and audiences wanting to root for something, that's different than the mainstream, maybe mm-hmm. that's why they support. Maybe that's why it's so strong, but I think the quality of the stuff as well obviously just is, is up there with with, with anything. You know. Excellent.
0: You mentioned college there as well. Yeah. Are you saying that everyone's, it almost sounds like everyone in the Irish film indus- animation industry all went to the same college. Pretty much. <laughs>
1: <But> <laughs> certainly there was a period of uh, probably ninety maybe 96 I think uh, 96 or 98 maybe brown bag film set up and they were I think the first class who went through the, the Ballyfermot program um, and as almost as all of those first classes went through Sullivan Bluth which was the main employer like literally shut down and left the country so uh, that first year of them coming out which is maybe 96 or something like that um, I'm not sure of the years I wasn't in that first group but they you know they felt compelled that the only way to get work was either emigrate or set up their own thing so several companies very small companies got set up out of that first year and then out of the year I came through was probably I think the cartoon saloon gang Paul and Tom and Nora came came out in 99 maybe graduated um, and again they came out and there was nothing like there was no work like, uh, so they had to it was again go overseas or or set up your own thing so they they got some a small amount of funding to set up their own thing to develop the trailer which became later became Secret of Kells um, Tom Caulfield graduated the following year got hired by them uh, to work on it so he was there from the very beginning as well um, and then our year came about and I think of my graduating class Tom was one he went to Kilkenny 12 of the other members of the class all went into games in the UK I think in Manchester actually mm-hmm. um, so there was nothing there was absolutely nothing happening in Ireland and really right up until about 2003 or four. If there was if there was six companies here, they were all teetering between sort of five and six or seven people. It was it was no great scale, and probably by two thousand six it had suddenly flipped, and three or four companies had got TV shows, you know, steady budgets from the BBC or from Nickelodeon or something, um, and suddenly that just started to ramp up and ramp up, and that momentum grew to the point where now it's fifteen hundred people or something employed in the industry here, uh, through twenty two companies, and it just it's a totally different landscape. Um, which is great, because it means there's all this great diversity, there's talent coming from overseas as well, um, so there's this lovely energy in the in the industry now. But the community, I think you're right, it is, almost all the studio heads from that first wave of companies being set up all know each other, and then the last like, four or five years but three or four more companies set up, um, you know, again, people full of energy, want to do their own thing, don't necessarily fit into what um, the existing companies wanted to do, um, and they're all thriving as well, so there's a lovely, uh, certainly lovely balance, I think, in the in the industry at the moment. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. So, um, Barry O'Donoghue, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today and explaining the Irish animation industry and Bali films uh, to our listeners and the very best of luck with Unhinged.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you very
0: much. So ladies and gentlemen, the best animation festivals always end with an award ceremony. So we're going to read out some of the winners and give you a flavour as to what won this year. So the best Irish student film or graduate film went to Joining Dots, which was directed by Fiona Ryan. It's a tale of a young girl's dreamy imagination. She takes a little trip through the constellations and the stars and it sends her dad into a little bit of a panic. And the Honourable Mention went to What's the Point, which was directed by Eleanor Burke, an informative video about tackling depression, so quite important stuff there. And this year also had a special award called the Spirit of 1916, which commemorated the 1916 uprising, and that went to... Granite and Chalk, which I thought was an absolutely superb animated documentary. It focused on espionage, which was in play during The Uprising, and had some great animation and character design by Stephen McNally, who really brought the story to life. The best Irish film went to The Angel of 1916 by Treehouse Republic Animation, and that was another tale from The Uprising, where a soldier recalled his part in The Uprising, and what fate had in store for him on that day, and how he kind of, how it saved his bacon. So that's a fascinating film to see if you could get the opportunity to see that. And a special mention went to Jack O'Shea's A Coat Made Dark, which is a really gritty film that stays with you and definitely commands further viewing if you've seen it once. It it really sticks in your head and you really want to see it again. So I really recommend seeing A Coat Made Dark if you can. The Community Recognition Award went to Spoon by Marcus Kemp, which was a bit of a squiggly favourite from Annecy. It's a frank tale about domestic abuse at the hands of a misguided mother, uh, but definitely worth seeing. And the special mention went to Dario Perez and the portrait of a wind-up maker. The award for Best International Animated Short went to Three Little Ninjas Delivery Service, Damsels in Distress, which is a wacky, colourful, fun TV film um, and a really odd, <laughs> really odd outing for this trio of ball-shaped ninjas, full of packed, full of gags and character nuances. Um, something that would definitely keep the kids entertained. And the honourable mention went to Ticking Away by Michael Sonerain, a skillfully animated tale about a reclusive watchmaker. The best international short went to The Diary of a Condemned Man, which was made by Goblin in France. Uh, A very fun tale about a lobster's last day before he meets his demise in the pot. Very French, superb graphic style and animation, so it must be seen, definitely. And uh, honourable mention went to Merlot, with some really lovely sound design on there, with the squeaks of a, of a bottle's cork opening, so it might make you uh, wine fans thirsty if you watch it. But uh, the story itself was a pulled-apart, alternative take on a much-loved fairy tale. And the best soundtrack went to Ticking Away, so that's a double prize there for Michael Sonorain's film, From the Netherlands, and Unhinged, directed by Tom Caulfield. And produced by Barley Films, we've just heard from the producer Barry O'Donoghue there. The Audience Award went to Divine Intervention, which was directed by Sean Cunningham. It's a superb accomplishment, this film, for uh, students who take a really original twist on faith, a funny original twist on faith, uh, with animation and pacing of a quality that's evocative of adventure time, really, and comedy writing, which sees a, a priest... Uh, come to the bizarre understanding of what Faith actually is and who's really running the show. I will leave it at that because I think this film really needs to be seen to be enjoyed. That's Divine Intervention if you can check it out. So congratulations to all the filmmakers who won at this year's award. There was one final award handed out, though, the Special Recognition Award, which went to the festival's special guest, Duke Johnson. Duke was at the festival to present Lisa, which I think is one of those films that just gets better and better every time you watch it. But he was also there to talk about his career in a masterclass, uh, which inspired all the participants, I'm sure. He even brought along a model of Lisa Uh, which created a rush to the stage uh, with delegates armed with camera phones ready to snap the film's star. Aside from Anomalisa, Duke is one of the creatives at Starburns Industries, and he sat down with us for a follow-up interview focusing on life after Anomalisa, Starburns Industries' future in feature and TV, as well as his own plans in transferring his animation filmmaking skills to live action. So here's our interview with Duke Johnson. I think it'd be a good idea to catch up after the uh, podcast we had yourself and Charlie on in March, uh, talking about Anomalisa when it was uh, released in the UK. Uh, what's the reaction been like to that film?
2: Uh, well, it was great. I mean, you know, the, um, the, the people, especially in the UK, were lovely about it. And, uh, you know, um, let's see, we premiered at the Telluride Film Festival last year. And uh, the festival response was great. Uh, we went on from Telluride to Venice to Toronto, and uh, that's where we got bought by Paramount, um, and also Curzon. And, uh, yeah, you know, the critical response right off the bat uh, was um, great. And, uh, yeah, it's been a great experience seeing it with audiences all over the world. And,
0: yeah. Brilliant. Uh, has there been different reactions throughout the world then? as people... We found people laughing in different places of the film, or people oh, yeah. crying in different places of the film. Maybe.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know specifically how it relates to different parts of the world. You know, I, it's just different audiences. It's like each audience has its own sort of unique kind of uh, collective unconscious or something, and they they, they experience things um, differently. And and but you know, I, for the most part. Um, it's been rewarding to see people laugh where we hoped they might laugh, and you know, be still or quiet in parts where we hope they might be still and quiet. I mean, there's certainly since the film was officially released, there's you know, there's there's the experience of screening it at, at film festivals and critics, and now these are people that love movies and, and love the art of cinema, and you know, it's a certain type of person that seeks out a film festival and, and you know buys a ticket and, or even travels to a place to see movies you know um, and then seeing it released to a general audience and have you know people's grandmother go and see it that's 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 a different experience and, and uh, you know it's been interesting to see kind of the contrast
0: there excellent we're going to see how the Irish audience reacts to it this afternoon yeah I'm excited about that yeah um, how, how's it been following the film around the, uh, the, the, the kind of Oscars corridor and, uh, the, the BAFTAs and, uh, well, the awards in the UK and, and in, in America, the Annies and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Um, that was an interesting, surreal experience for me. I, you know, I, I can't speak for Charlie. He's, he's been through that stuff before, but this was, um, this was the first time for me and. Uh, it was it was surreal <laughs> um, you know one minute you're I, I mean the thing about this movie was it, we didn't we weren't affiliated with any studio aside from you know our independent production studio that made it Star Wars Industries um, we weren't affiliated with any major production company or anything so we were just making it on our own in like this little studio in this black box in Burbank California nobody knew about us and then, you know, we didn't know if, what was really going to happen at the movie. And then, you know, flash forward and we're like, you know, sitting at a table with, you know, Brad Pitt and, you know, whatever. And it's, it's just, it's, it's that whole experience of Hollywood and, and, and award ceremonies is, it's, it's very strange. Um, it's very surreal. It's very strange. and, and. You know, it's it's thrilling, and you're honored to be to have people recognize what you've done, and and have it get out there. And I think I think particularly for smaller films, you know, awards ceremonies and things bring attention to the film and 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 bring people to to see it that might not otherwise. Um, but at the same time, there's a you know there's a there's a thing about awards ceremonies that this is kind of all like how do you, like there is no best film, you know, there's no such thing as a best film because it's, you know, what, what does that mean? Is it the one that makes the most money? Is it the one that appeals to the widest audience? Is it the one that has the greatest emotional impact on a few people? It's like, you know, film is subjective and, um, it's weird to look at it from that perspective, but it's interesting.
0: The fact that they do it every year as well, so... Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they keep changing the mind every year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, excellent. Uh, We've well, we'll talked about the film, you say it was done uh, at Starburns, very kind of low budget, uh, funded by Kickstarter. How did you make something done on such a small budget relative to the films that you were up against during awards season yeah. look so uh, like it was... Made for the same budget. Is that down to the story?
2: I mean, for, first of all, I'll, I'll say just to just to, just to clarify, we started with Kickstarter, and that literally kickstarted yes. production, <laughs> and and we actually started making it for you know just around three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But then we did uh, later get additional financing from a company, another independent production company called Snoop films and uh they came in and financed the rest of the film and and as more money came we improved our puppets and we in, improved um you know we had uh, we were able to spend more money on post production and things like this but the way we approached it i mean really we weren't trying to compete with $100 million movies or something that that wasn't that wasn't our intention um you know, we specifically didn't want it to look exceptionally polished as as those films typically look. Um, you know, like a like a Leica film, mm-hmm. for example, um, which has become sort of the standard for, you know, like a stop motion feature animated film. Uh, you know, they they just look so perfect. And as we were developing the aesthetic for our film you know the the imperfections in the medium um, sort of reflected the humanity that that we saw in the in the story and in and in the characters themselves. You know the the flawed aspects of the characters themselves um, were mirrored in you know the way these things looked. And so it was never our intention to make it like people. It's funny because you always hear people say that it's like. I mean I have heard people say that it's like the most realistic looking in it like it looks so real or something and I you know the thing is it is it doesn't it doesn't look real at all Mm -hmm. but you know it's just typically animation is like you know more um I mean for lack of a better term uh it's a misuse of the term but you know cartoony or something exaggerated features and and things like that and and it's it looks more like humans than what we're used to seeing, at least on a feature level. There's actually been you know short films and, and student films that that go more in that aesthetic, but but it, it doesn't. We weren't trying to make it look like real life either. You know, it's we were trying to portray an authentic emotional experience using the medium of stop motion and not trying to hide what it was. You know.
0: Yes, I think that plays into the story as well. There's yeah. the part where he's he's looking in the mirror, uh, uh, or when he's walking down the corridor, and, and there's the there's a shock. Yeah, uh, for me as a as a kind of um, as, as somebody who's into animation at least, when his face comes off, and he looks at it, and watching that as an animator, I was like, well, obviously this is planned, but this is this is a, this is a brilliant surprise. They're acknowledging the. The, the fact that it's been created in this way in rap, rap, with rapid prototyping and things yeah. like that. Was that always in the script or was that... Uh, did, that did you come to that halfway through production or...? No,
2: that, that was a discovery that we made along the way as we were... You know, because when we decided to do this, we didn't have an idea in our mind of what it would look like actually. Um, and as we started developing the aesthetic, we arose... We, we arrived at... Um, uh, the rapid prototyping and the you know the, the uh, replacement faces um, because we were looking for a certain level of um, emotional expression in the faces um, within a certain budget range or whatever, you know, so we're trying out different things and then we came across this aesthetic and then it was like, well, this looks a certain way. They have this line across the face and then, you know, people are immediately like, well, we can... You know, paint those out in after the fact, and then we were like, "Well, what if we didn't paint those out? Well, what would that, what would that look like? What would that feel like? What would that mean to to the film and to the characters?" And um, you know, now it looks like they're wearing masks, and and it it it, um, it uh, lets us feel the impact of the animators and and the manipulation of outside forces on the characters, and, and we really. We really liked that and, and liked the feel of that and, and um, you know, just went with it and it evolved from there and, and then we started adding it into the story.
0: Excellent. You uh, entered animation as a live-action director. Uh, how was that transition?
2: Well, you know, I, I often think that... I've thought about this a lot because, you know, it's just I think it's just natural human... Behavior to kind of like categorize people and like you know put people in a box. You know, like this person is an animation person and this person is a live action filmmaker or, or whatever. And then also it works on the other side where people, you know, like in the animation world, or you know, we're oftentimes very proud that uh, of our craft and what we do. But really, I think that storytelling is storytelling and filmmaking is filmmaking, and you know, there's certainly a technical aspect to animation that's very different from live action, but the basic structure of narrative and storytelling is, and character and all these things, is the same, essentially. And, and it's about, you know, filmmaking in general is about how are you using this medium to tell this story? And you know, I think animation is just another medium to tell stories with and um and so the transition for me from live action to animation wasn't was more about learning the process and learning the craft and and falling in love with that ultimately and you know i I didn't even realize how much i loved it until i until i started doing it and then it brings back all those memories of you know playing with toys when you're a kid and and that, you know, there's just something about small things and, and, uh, and, and this imaginary world and, and, and putting these characters in, inside of these three-dimensional spaces and stuff that, that I really um, fell in love with. And, and it's, it's interesting because now I'm planning to, um, I'm still working in animation, but I'm also planning to do a, a live action feature. And it's interesting because my work in stop motion has dramatically affected um, my approach to live action as well. Because the stop motion has is has been a great sort of um, it, you're able to look at the three-dimensional space from a different perspective. Because it really is like a diagram of a live action set. I mean you have you have the outline, you, you have the space and you have characters within the space, and you 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 can see how they're blocked and how they're how they relate to the light and, and stuff from a perspective that you wouldn't be able to do in a live-action film.
0: That's interesting. So, so animation is informing your uh, your future direction.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and um, I spoke to you last night about it, um, but the podcast people haven't heard. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the in the process of um, of uh, pre-production of animation as well, and and how you might be able to apply that to live-action, the animatic process, and and just just. The, the thing about animation is, you know, the, the actual physical animation is typically the last stage of the process. Um, and there's so much pre production that goes into it, and you develop the whole story and everything because, you know, the animation is expensive to do, and so you don't want to, you don't animate like the same shot from multiple angles and stuff and then cut it together in post like you would in live action. You do all of the, all of the, editorial stuff I mean not all of it there's still post production but you do a lot of the blocking and, and figuring out the shot selection and all that you do that ahead of time and the interesting thing about that is you know in filmmaking you write a script and a script isn't a completed thing it's a blueprint for a visual thing so it's sort of like you write the script and then you're like okay I'm gonna go shoot this and I'm just kind of like assuming that these things that I'm planning in my mind are going to work but with animation, you get to like sort of try them out and see if they work ahead of time, and you get to develop the story visually, along with narratively. You know, and uh, I'm I'm interested in, in attempting to do something similar with live action as well.
0: Brilliant. Uh, so the economics of animation there you're talking about having to have been able to film something uh, only from one angle and keep that kind of uh, almost restricted uh, production process. Uh, together. I read somewhere that you only had four months to do Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas for Community. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it is. Uh, we had uh, 16 weeks. Is that four months? I think it is.
0: It's it, it's short. It's a short amount of time yeah. for, for what we ended up with on screen.
2: But you know, that is actually... That 16 weeks is... That's not like 16 weeks of animation. That's mm. like from we're going to do this thing to... It's on the air, you know, I mean, it was like from zero to a hundred and 16 weeks. It was, it was crazy fast.
0: Wow. How did you,
2: I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think I slept for about six weeks. I mean, the six, it was, I think six weeks of actual animation. Um, and then everything else was like, you know, the building and, you know, designing the puppets from scratch and all this stuff. Um, it was a different style of animation and it's weird how like you do a feature. I mean, I guess obviously Anomalisa has very sort of subtle nuanced animation and stuff. So, you know, we were animating, uh, we had, a, 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 we aspired to two seconds of animation a day on Anomalisa per animator. And um, on Avid's Uncontrollable Christmas, our goal was I think 10 seconds of animation a day, which I mean, anybody will tell you that's crazy. But it, I think we were able to do it because that's where we came from. Like, Robot Chicken, Moral oral uh, Frank and Hold, those are all 10-second-a-day animation shows. That's the goal, anyway. And ovid's Uncontrollable Christmas was, I think, maybe a little less than that. It was, like, maybe 6 to 8. But, yeah, I mean, you're just... I don't know. You just have a mentality of, like, we're going for it, and you, you set the animator off, and they get it done. A lot of late nights, and...
0: It's it's quite a rich episode as well, with with so many characters and settings and yeah. and areas all specific to Abed's journey as he yeah, goes yeah. through the the uh, psychotic episode that he's having.
2: Yeah, I mean that was also for me. It was like it was my first big like network directing job, mm-hmm. and so I was like, I you know, if I die doing this, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put everything I have. You know, I mean, I, I, I worked probably harder on that than anything I'd ever done in my life until anomalies. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and then also we started a new studio to do that. That's when we started Starburns. Um, and so there was a lot of writing on it. And we all just worked really hard and put everything we had into it. And, and it, it ended up costing more money than we had. And Dan Harmon put, you know, his own money into it. And so it was we, we were all kind of like, um, you know, putting ourselves on the line for it.
0: Well, Starburns Industries has, has uh, gone on to quite the success, hasn't it? For, for yourself as a director there and for uh, Dino Stam... Dino
2: Stamatopoulos, Stamatopoulos. yeah. Stamatopoulos. It was started by Dan Harmon and Dino Stamatopoulos and then also uh, two gentlemen by the names of James Fino and Joe Russo, who sort of handled like more the business side of things. And then myself, and we started in 2010 to do the Community Christmas Special and then uh, we went on to do another season of Dino Stamatopoulos' show, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, um, and then we did a special for Moral Oral called Beforeal Oral, which is like a TV special origins story of Moral Oral, um, and then, you know, we did commercials, music videos, and stuff, and then we did Anomalisa, and Anomalisa was a big deal for us, and, um, you know, brought a lot of attention to the studio, and, and this video we've been around for six years, we just had our six-year anniversary party this month, and... Um, and uh, and yeah you know we're trying to build it and and we're doing all kinds of like we're doing 2D animation now we do a show for HBO called Animals Um, we're going to do a show with Louis C.K. and Albert Brooks called Cops which is another 2D animated show we do a lot of 2D animation now Um, and uh, we're trying to get another feature started uh, called Bubbles which is a Michael Jackson Biopic, as told from the perspective of his Monkey Bubbles, um, which was a, a script that was number one on the blacklist um, a couple of years ago. And it's a, it's actually a really great script. And um, We have Mark Gustafson attached from Fantastic Mr. Fox. He was the animation director there. And so, you know...
0: I heard about that yeah. particular film when Anomalisa was doing doing its rounds initially. Yeah. So well, the next thing they're going to do is it's it's about Michael Jackson's monkey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's not much else you can tell me apart from that, but if there is,
2: I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, I was kind of the same thing. I was like, you know, when people were like, you got to read the script and I was like, it's Michael Jackson's monkey. Like, I don't, who's this for? I don't understand, but I read it and it's actually, it's a brilliant script. I mean, it's just a really well-written script and, um, you know, it's an emotional story and, uh, and uh, yeah it, it seems so I mean it's one of those things that's like people have had a hard time they love the script like everyone in Hollywood loved it but they had a hard time sort of figuring out how it could be done picturing it as a live action film um, because you know it's got all these famous people in it and stuff but then once um, somebody got the idea to do it in stop motion it kind of was like oh okay now, now it makes sense but yeah I mean it's I think it's a cool project is it going to have yeah, I mean we're still, um, you know, I don't know these things. I, like, I'm I'm an artist. I don't know how I don't <laughs> know how the business works. You know, but that, these the wheels of um, Hollywood move slowly sometimes. But yeah, I mean we have uh, we have financiers and business partners, and and as I said, uh, Gustafson's on board, and uh, yeah, they're just working out the details on. It. With some getting some final talent attached and things like that, but I think it. I think it's going forward. You know, the ink's not dry on all the contracts and stuff, but
0: we'll see what happens. Best of luck with that, and with the other projects. I'm fascinated by the Lucy K. Um, cops uh, drown as well, and animals, and it sounds it yeah, sounds yeah, fantastic. Yeah. American uh, sitcom animation is is really uh, coming to its own. It's in the, in the last decade or so. Yeah, it's really, so much yeah. now, don't you?
2: Yeah, it really has. You know, it's there, there was the mainstream network stuff, like The Simpsons and stuff, right? We've been around forever and kind of made way for Family Guy and American Dad and things like that. And uh, and, and uh, uh, what is it? The, the Mike Judge stuff and, and, and stuff like that and King of the Hill, um, stuff like that. And then we got uh, Adult Swim and they started bringing this kind of like... Younger, more experimental types of shows and animation, which is is sort of like a nod back to the um, sort of liquid television kind of MTV era, and um, and 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 that kind of became successful. And you know, we did another show at Starburns called uh, Rick and Morty, um, which has become a big hit, and everybody loves that show. And and um, And then, so it sort of opened up and now they're doing other, there's other sort of Adult Swim-esque kind of types of networks and animation blocks on networks and FXX and, you know, all this stuff going on. And and yeah, it's kind of exploding, the animation realm. And then also all this online streaming stuff and there's CISO. We do another show for CISO, which is a a streaming online network. Uh, We do a show called uh, Quest. Uh, which Dan Harmon like basically plays & Dragons with like celebrity guests, and then you know they're at a table and it's filmed in front of a live audience, and it's live action of them playing the game. But then when they're talking about the stuff that's happening within the game, it goes into the animation realm, and it's like them as
0: you know an ogre and whatever. Some like, of the best episodes of Community are, are based around that premise as exactly, well. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Um, well, I, I, I'm happy to hear that Starburns is. You know, continuing full force, and I could talk to you all day about Rick and Morty. I'm a a massive fan uh, of the show. Um, What is next for yourself personally, from a creative point of view?
2: Yeah, well, I'm still actively involved in, you know, all all the stuff that goes on at Starburns. I'm the I'm the creative director there, and and uh, and and so you know, I'm involved in developing animated shows and and pitching things to to networks and stuff to do with Starburns, and then also personally, I've been thinking a lot about what I would do in the feature realm next. And, uh, you know, I, I set out in this business to initially wanting to do a live action film. And, um, as I said, I've, I've loved working in animation and, and I've learned so much from that process and I'd I'd like to see, um, what I can do in the live action realm. So I think I'm going to try to do a a live action feature next. uh, I've been writing that and then who knows I'm trying to take it one thing at a time
0: you sound like you've got a lot on your plate creative yeah. <laughs> <Grave> directing at <laughs> Starburns yeah. blimey I don't think animators can take things one, one, one thing at a time if you're taking anything yeah, yeah. from animation take that That's yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Excellent, hey, so Jude Johnson thank you very much for talking to Swiggly today at the Dublin Animation Film Festival and very best of luck uh, with your talk later on and uh, with Anomalisa showing it to the audience here my pleasure and thank you so much Thanks for joining us on this squiggly animation podcast special from the Dublin Animation Film Festival. The festival will return in 2017, so keep your eyes on the website, which is DublinAnimationFestival.com. You can follow them on Twitter at DublinAnimation and Facebook.com slash DublinAnimation. Our special guests on this podcast were Barry O'Donoghue and Duke Johnson. You can find out more about Barry's work and Barley Films at BarleyFilms.net. And you can follow Duke Johnson on Twitter at Jukulele, or you can find out more about Starburns Industries at starburnsindustries.com. I'd like to extend a massive thanks to Fanula Nainil, and Christina Yee for their hospitality during the festival. We had an absolutely brilliant time enjoying the films, meeting students, and seeing some absolutely wonderful work. Thank you very much for having us, and we're really looking forward to the Dublin Animation Film Festival 2017. So, until the next time, thank you very much for listening, and Sona Björkhan.